Well, I'm glad you're here, despite the fact that you may have lost that hour of sleep instead of hour of waiting in line that uh, Jerry was talking about. Back on Daylight Savings Time again we are. It's good to see you this morning. Let's begin with prayer. Our holy God, we come before you today to thank you first. You are the living Lord. You are our creator. You are a redeemer. And we come before you with worship. We come to praise you. We come to give you thanks. We come, uh, Father, to be grateful to you, express our gratitude to you for life, for the blessings of life, and especially, Father, for the hope of eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we thank you today for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Father, as we come into your presence now, that we may have a sense of your majesty and your glory, and that we may also have a sense of your care for us. And our Father, we pray that we may be the people that you have called us to be. We pray that you will remove from our hearts and remove from our practices and habits those things that are keeping us from being whom you have called us to be. We pray, Father, today for forgiveness of our sins. We confess them before you. And we pray, Father, that we may be a people who are always expressing our gratitude and our thankfulness for your mercy, your grace, and your love. Be with us as a congregation. Lord, this is a very serious and somber time for us in our country and in the life of this congregation. We've been so terribly affected by many things around us over which seemingly we had no control. But we trust in you, and we're putting our trust in you now, Lord, that you may lead us forward to whom you have called us to be and what you have called us to be, and that we might be the light in this community because we know the world is filled with darkness now. And the light of Christ is the light that leads to life. Bless us and pray. we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, anniversaries are wonderful events. Uh, wedding anniversaries and community anniversaries. But we are today experiencing an anniversary that I think is not a very happy one. Because it was one year ago today that we were not meeting anymore for a period of time. We came to know what lockdown is. We came to know what social distancing is. We came to know what it means to wear a mask. And we came to know what it means to have a gun at your, I mean, to have a thermometer set at your head as you enter in, which is appropriate, which is needed. So, uh, life has been different in these, this past year. When I was a freshman at Harding, I heard a man make a speech, and I was, I was amazed by it. 
because he was telling us freshmen, you can't go home again. But then as I listened to him, he reminded us of a novel that had been written posthumously by Thomas Wolfe, published in 1940, entitled, You Can't Go Home Again. I was amazed by that. I lived only 100 miles away from Searcy, where Harding is located. You know, I can go home. It takes me about two hours. I can go home any time. Yet I discovered, in reality, there's a great truth to that. You can't go home again. Because the meaning of that is, if you return to the place of remembrance in the past, it just won't be the same anymore as you remembered it. How true that is. Now, you may wonder, why are you sharing that with us today? Because we have experienced a full year. So I want to talk to us as a congregation this morning, heart to heart. We have experienced a full year that has been completely different from what we have known in the past. And so often we are hearing this has not been normal. And won't it just be wonderful when we can return to normal? In, in reality, we need to think through that again. We will never be able to return to normal in many, uh, in many cases. Just as you can't go home again, we cannot really go back to normal. So what I'm going to be saying is that we're going to be creating a new normal. And that isn't anything that's really new. The important matter this morning is that as a congregation, we must be willing to adapt our work to the changing realities. That has been true always, and it is true now. And so in these moments that we have together, I want us to look at three realities And I want us to look at it from the standpoint of how this applies to us as the Carrollton congregation. We need to understand what we mean by normal. What is it to go back to normal? As we see things opening up more and understand the edict that the governor issued effective of uh, March the 10th, Uh, more and more we are hearing this idea of going back to normal in businesses, in schools, and in churches. Well, let's think now of what that means to us at Carrollton. What is normal? Normal is not just a religious organization of any kind, whether it be us or someone else that show up once a week for a quick bite and then go our way. I think all of us recognize this is not normal. What is normal? Well, let's think about this. And I'm not, uh, I'm not wanting to be... Uh, I want this to apply to who we are. What is normal? First, normal is community. Normal is fellowship. When Paul writes to the Philippians, he speaks in terms of a fellowship that we share. And that is a partnership. 
And when we think of normal, we think then of what that means as community. What is community? Well, community is family. The household of faith, Paul speaks of it. And he says that you and I are members of that household of the Lord. We are family members. And community is more than family. Community is body. Paul uses the analogy of the church as body. And he says we are members, now notice this, members one of another. Yes, we are members of the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. But that thumb is a member of the rest of my body. It does not exist in isolation. We do not exist in isolation. We are members of the body, and the body functions, and the body is designed to function. So as the body functions, and as we as family function, here are some things that I would like to stress should be normal. We share a common life. That's normal. We share our new life in Christ. Keith, you and I share the same common life in Christ. And so it is with you, Andy. We are sharing a common life. When Christ is our life, who will appear? Then we shall see him. Our life is in Christ. We share that. We care for one another. Family members care for one another. When one family member is suffering, the whole family responds. And you know what it is like when one member of the body suffers, the whole body responds. You hit that finger with a hammer, and I can assure you, first of all, I'm going to have to check my tongue to see that it doesn't work uh, the way it might uh, do otherwise. But I can assure you the rest of the body is impacted by that. So we are body, and we care for one another. Now, As family and as body, we see one another. We communicate with one another. Now, we could communicate today by various means of communication. But we need to be in communication. Notice, community involves communication. Now, we can communicate with one another personally. Jerry and I can have a conversation together and encourage one another. Michael and I may talk on the telephone, but we can be encouraging one another by that means. Charles and I may communicate by means of uh, the emails, but we, we are blessed today with different means of communication by which we can keep in contact with each other. And so in all of this, the normal is 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. So, normal. The normal being community with all that that entails. Now, for the next few minutes, I would like to think about some basics to which we need to go as we consider this new normal. You think about not going home again. You can't go home again. But there are some basics that we need to keep before us. I want to share with you something that I learned. It stood with me, and I stayed with me, and I'm glad for that. Uh, in teacher education, we, we learned this little ditty. 
Take it home with you. Methods are many. Principles are few. Methods may vary. Principles never do. Now, let's think about that as we are considering our thoughts today. There are some principles that never vary. They are the eternal truths. There is one God. And the Lord said, I, the Lord, do not change. The writer to the Hebrews is reminding them that our faith is based upon Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is an unchangeable, a reality that is there always. The word does not change. We may have different translations, but it is the same word. Your word is firmly fixed in heaven, the psalmist said. And Jesus said, heaven and earth, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. The nature of the Christian life does not change. Whether in time of COVID or in the time of prosperity or whenever it may be, the nature of the Christian life remains the same. And what is it? Be faithful unto death. And I'll give you the crown of life. That doesn't change. And I want to share with you one other thought. Our hope does not change. Paul said, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, has promised to us. Yes, principles are few, but they are of such nature that they never change. Let's be grateful today for the one God whom we serve, for his word which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway, for the nature of the Christian life that really involves us in community and family relationship, and for the hope that brings joy to us as we look to what lies ahead. So principles remain. But the ways of doing things very often. Now let's think through this together, church. Methods are many. Methods may vary. You had that reading a while ago from 1 Corinthians 9. And you certainly see that's the way Paul proceeded. He spoke in terms of different groups with whom he sought to identify as he sought to share the gospel with them. And that meant a flexibility was necessary on his part. And that means today that a flexibility is necessary on our part. Let me just share with you briefly what I mean by his flexibility. You know, Paul was a Jew, right? And Paul was well-schooled in what we know of as the Old Testament scriptures. Very much so. He was respected and was really going to be one of the chief rabbis, I would think, the way he was going, but he became a Christian. And when he went out on his missionary journeys, so often the very first place he would go would be to a Jewish synagogue. Now, because he was a man who knew the scriptures, as it was in Antioch of Pisidia and in Thessalonica and other places, they would offer to him an opportunity to speak. In, uh, in Acts, the 13th chapter, they said, if you have any word of encouragement, come on and speak to us. 
in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, that word of encouragement is the same idea as a sermon. So, Brother Paul, if you've got a sermon from the Old Testament scriptures, come and speak to us. And Paul would do that over and over again as he went to the synagogue. He had that synagogue sermon. You see it in Thessalonica to which I referred. And his statement is made there that when he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, three words are used that described what he would do. He would reason with them. He would explain, literally open up the scripture. That's what the word in the original suggests. He would open up the Old Testament scriptures to them. And then he would put them side by side. That's the next word that is used. Proving. Sometimes translated as proving. But he would put side by side the Old Testament scriptures with Jesus of Nazareth and say, this Jesus of Nazareth is the one whom God sent. Okay, that's to the Jews. Now, that's a great sermon. But Paul did not limit his work to Jews. On the first missionary journey, after Acts 13, we go to, guess what? Acts 14. In Acts 14, we come uh, to this place called Lystra. (coughs) And and there, Paul had healed a man. And somehow or other, (coughs) there were those who thought that he was a god who'd come down among them. And they got ready to offer sacrifices to him. Paul said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. But then he began to speak to a group of people that we would basically identify as pagan. They worship all kinds of gods. So he couldn't say, now listen, let me tell you what the Old Testament scriptures say. No, you've got a different audience, haven't you? So he had to start with something else. He started with something else. He said, we have seasons that come and go. And things grow. Who's responsible for the seasons? Who's responsible for the growth? I want to set before you the God who is responsible for that. You see, he had to begin at a different place. And he had to use a little different strategy. In both cases, he sought to come out at the same place. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But he had to begin over here with the pagans, whereas he could begin over here with the Jews. Oh, one more. In Acts 17, you know, he went to Athens. Oh, sophisticated Athens. We are the home of the philosophers. And they had the tendency to look down their nose on the barbarians, those who could not speak Greek well, who did not know their philosophy. So, how are you going to get to them, Paul? He was walking along their street, and he said, I, I saw all of these, I saw all of these idols to different gods. I found one I thought was interesting. To an unknown God. Unknown God. Wait, hey, there's my door of entry. And then, you know what he did? He quoted, he showed them that he could identify with them. He quoted from Epimenides. In him we live and move and have our being. Oh, you know your poets. Then he quoted from Eratus. For we are his offspring. What did he do? He connected with where the people were. But then what does he do as a result of it? He brings them to the same point. Now you see what I'm getting to here is that methods may vary. 
principles, the message never varies. Now, that's illustrated in our own age. I grew up at a time in which gospel meetings were the thing. The church in the community where I was reared was begun in 1912 by a man who preached in the gospel meeting. And for 17 straight years following that, he would come every year and preach in a two-week meeting. And many, many people were baptized. Then he came for 12 more meetings over a few years. I myself preached in nine meetings at one particular place back years ago. How many of you have heard of a gospel meeting recently? It is not that the gospel is no longer relevant. It is the fact that we have a different age and a different time and a different setting. In the past, we could go knock on doors. We had two major campaigns in Australia. This has been conducted uh, not only there, but in other places. Go knock on doors, set up home Bible studies. Well, you can't do that now. Now, does that mean we can't reach people with the gospel anymore? No. We have to learn new ways of doing things. And so, uh, the very basic point in it all is what I want to stress with, with all of us today. Basic to our outreach is friendship evangelism. Now, what do I mean by that? We have to get with people like you read from 1 Corinthians 9. And we, the people have to have some confidence in us. You see that in the 8th chapter of Acts. There's friendship evangelism. Philip joins with the eunuch and shares the gospel with him and baptizes him. You see friendship evangelism. When Aquila and uh, uh, Priscilla called Apollos aside and said, let's study the scriptures more closely. And they led him to a more accurate knowledge of the word. So this is what is basic in our outreach. And our present time, what's going on right now, calls for a variety. And that variety has its pros and its cons. You can't say this one versus that one. This will always work. That will not work. This will always work, but that will not work. There are pros and cons. One of the words that we have got into our vocabulary the last year is virtual. You know, virtual. We have virtual meetings. Now, uh, there are some positives in virtual meetings. You can open the door to many that otherwise would not be reached. I had lunch not long ago with a very good friend of mine who was telling me that there were a couple of people that he had worked on. He's only been there 31 years. A couple of people that he had been visiting with and trying to study with. And they turned a deaf ear to him, never. But then the last year, they were online, virtual. And he has baptized the both of them in this last year. I don't know, somehow or other, there was a way that the connection was made there that was good. Uh, I know a young lady who started her Wednesday night class with uh, with the... Uh, Preschoolers, and, and and actually, actually, the, up through the first, uh, second, or second and third grade, starting out with them because they couldn't meet, 
And it, it caught on. It caught on. And eventually, they noticed there are as many as 400 people that are watching this. Well, that happens sometimes. Not every time. You can't be guaranteed. You're going to get 400 watches right away. But there are some positives. But on the other hand, I think we need to recognize that it misses out on this, to, this experience of togetherness. So we can't just say one versus the other. One will do it always. The other will not. Uh, together is historically prominent. Because together we have the one anotherness. And that's what we need. Time and again. We see this emphasis upon one another. We can speak to one another. We can encourage one another. We can worship together physically. We can share the word together, one another. But now, brothers, there are those who are watching online. They may be searching us online. And it is possible that we miss out on those who are searching online, uh, if we do not have some kind of online arrangement with them. Now, at this point, I want to share one other thought with you, that we are living in a time that is different. I think you're already aware of that. (laughs) We're living in a time that is different so far as Christianity is concerned in the United States. At this stage, 50% of those who are millennials, as they're known, 50% say, we have no time, no interest in God. Anything to do with God. 50%. What is being said across the board in the United States is, Christianity is declining. In churches of Christ... We have experienced over the last 15 years about a 10% loss in membership in the United States. I'm not saying that to be depressing. I'm simply saying that's the reality that we face. Satan is alive and well. And what we have urged at different times, I want to stress again, is that the cultural norms around us are eating us up. But shall we just lambast cultural norms? We need to offer the alternative message. And the alternative message is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There will never be an arrangement, any kind of arrangement, that will take the place of one-on-one. In evangelism in our work in the church, in our relationship, in our fellowship, the things that you have heard teach other men who in turn can teach others also, one-on-one. Well, Paul said, if by any means. If by any means. What is going to be the new normal for us? I urge us to pray about this. I urge us not to have our heads in the sand, but to be up and alert to ways that we can reach people today. Well, we can't have a gospel meeting anymore. Okay, there's another way. 
I, I've actually preached in a Brush Arbor meeting. Of course, that was another century, you know. Uh, in the past, that would work. But you build a Brush Arbor out here today and expect, you know what's going to happen there. So, it doesn't mean that the gospel is no longer effective. It means that we've got to learn how to be more effective in the ways that are open to us. The Lord said, I have set before you an open door. And I urge us today to pray that we may understand what that open door is. And not only to understand it, but to enter it and use it for the glory of God. You can't go home again. We can't go back to some things as they were in the past. But we can identify with what Paul says. I have become all things to all people, if by any means I may save some. I'm willing to do whatever bending needs to be done to meet people where they are, to share the gospel with them, and to help build people up in the faith. The good news never changes. John saw that angel with the everlasting gospel to proclaim to all those who dwell on the earth. Our Lord Jesus Christ never changes. He became the author of eternal salvation to all them who obey him, then and now. COVID time or not COVID time, whenever. So today, may the Lord help us to recognize that although we can't go home again, we can adjust and be flexible, and share the message with people and build one another up. Build one another up. As we close today, we're talking about not going home again. But there is a way that you can go home to an eternal, everlasting home. And that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. And those who are baptized into Christ and are raised to walk in that newness of life can live in the hope of going home to the Lord. He calls you to that, and we do while together we stand and sing.